Welcome back to the Fuse Podcast, where we like to spark change through conversation. My name is Max Nelson. I'm Yatin Sharma. Uh, and today we're going to be having a conversation around mental health and extremism with Dr. Shavers. Dr. Shavers, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, I am Dr. Shavers. I'm currently um, a department head here at Missouri State University in the Department of Counseling, Leadership, and Special Education. By training, I am licensed as a clinical counselor and also a um, school counselor. So I've been a counselor in both the schools and um, in clinics. Uh, so Dr. Shavers, um, is mental health an important factor to be considered when we're talking about uh, violent acts, whether it's self-harm, harm to others? Yeah, so absolutely. I mean, I would argue that mental health needs to be talked about anytime we're talking about some sort of human behavior, um, because that's our brains. And so that's sort of driving mm -hmm. a lot of what we're doing. When I think about mental health, you know, it's the sort of the cognitive aspect, like what are people thinking? Um, how are they processing things? It's also actions, like what are people doing based on those thoughts? And then it's emotions. So it's like, how do people feel? Um, how do people react to different things that happen? And so absolutely, I believe that it's um, an important part of the conversation around extremism. But also it helps to sort of uh, think about, so a lot of times when we think about violent acts, sometimes they're impulsive. And so there's a lot of regulation that has to happen in order to say, like, I am mad. These are things that I can do to sort of calm myself. Mm -hmm. um, it's sort of like when you're a kid, you have something happens that you don't like and you lash out. As you get older, you learn things happen that I don't like and I deal with them in different ways, whether that's take a deep breath, go for a walk, mm -hmm. ignore it. Yeah. Um, and so to see sort of those escalating behaviors, oftentimes that's connected to mental health. Yeah. So what um, just you talking about how we deal with certain things mm -hmm. that that i'm thinking about like so what level of influence does our emotions have on like the way we like exhibit um certain behaviors into the world like i know that the enneagram is all based around like i think it's specifically based around like trauma mm -hmm. right and, and the way that we have dealt with trauma in our yeah, past absolutely. lives is is there a certain amount of influence that like just oh that offended me so now like my whole day has changed or do we have more control over how we exhibit our emotions mm -hmm. kind of like what the stoics claim to so i, I think it depends yeah. on who you are yeah. and your background um and so i mean that's why um if you think about like someone gets fired and then they go back and they shoot up their job, right? That's right. not a typical yeah. reaction to being fired, right? Mm -hmm. So someone might get fired and they might walk away and they might be really upset and they won't say anything. Someone else might get fired and they might scream on their way out. And so what we tend to know is that individuals have, um, I sort of look at it as this way everyone sort of develops a reserve of strategies in order to mm. deal with things that feel uncomfortable or emotionally unhealthy. Some people's reserves are a lot stronger than others. Is that like, so that long fuse, short fuse, bigger boom? You can't remove emotion or sort of thoughts, right? Mm. And so um, I think it's a combination of both. And so some people may have um, better strategies for sort of how they think about something. And so I, using the I'm fired example, I could go, I could get fired and I could think this is unfair to me. Um, I could also think this is unfair to me and people are out to get me. 
I could think, oh, this just wasn't a good fit for me. Um, I could think, I could say, this is unfair to me and it will never, and life is never fair. Mm -hmm. And so you see how based on the way you process things cognitively, um, that determines sort of your emotional response to what is happening. Um, and so I don't, I don't think it's necessarily, um, a reserve, uh, but it's sort of a toolkit that you build, build in life. So some people are around individuals throughout their life who are emotionally healthy, who um, role model for them how to process those emotions. And so they're building their toolbox as they're going without much thought. Others have to learn that directly. Um, And so if that doesn't happen or if there's trauma involved that makes it harder for them to learn that, that may not happen as, as easily. Have you, have you ever, uh, do you have seen in your experience that, uh, if someone is having, you know, uh, mental health and to moving towards extremism in your experience, have you seen any of these cases? Um, I don't know that I've seen these cases with people that I'm working with individually, but I think we, you know, we see these often. I used to be a counselor in the college counseling center and oftentimes, um, faculty would refer students to counseling based on some of the things that they might be saying in their papers and sort of the way that they are processing things. And so um, I think a lot of times when, for instance, a student, a college-age student that's still sort of developing their emotional intelligence, as as well as in college, you're often processing a lot of new ideas that you haven't processed because you're introduced to new people, you're introduced to new settings, you're actually living with people. And so like, you're questioning even the way, like the mm-hmm. order that you do things in the morning. All of those things are sort of in question. Um, and so a lot of times in the counseling center, you know, I would see students um, who were just struggling with their emotions. Either they're feeling very moody um, and their emotions are feeling a little bit more volatile or they're feeling really depressed. And so they are struggling to find um, connection. They're struggling to find support. And so a lot of times I think what extremism does for people who are sort of emotionally vulnerable or struggling with their mental health is it provides a safe space Mm. for people to sort of act through some of these um, issues that they're going through. So, for instance, if I feel like the world is not fair, um, my teacher has just given me an F. And I hate to use this example because it feels very linear and very simple, but Mm -hmm. it's just an example Someone says, hey, I have an F. And I think, oh, my goodness, the world is not fair. People are out to get me. People, for whatever reason, don't like me. And then there's a group that says, yeah, you're right. The world is out to get you or this is out to get you. And all of a sudden it makes, they scoop you up. And yeah, like, it makes you feel safe. Now. And then you start to believe mm-hmm. and sort of fuel into it. Mm-hmm. And so I believe that extremism is an emotional and cognitive mm-hmm. process, which is why mental health, I think, is so connected to that. Right. Yeah. So if you start to get, you know, a lot of cognitive therapists yeah. really focus on cognitive distortions. Right. And so it's sort of this all or nothing thinking. Mm-hmm. There's no gray area. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see that in political debates all the time. It's either like you love this group or you hate this group. There's no nuance to it. Mm-hmm. And so I think extremism takes out the uncomfortable nuance, right? It's hard to like believe something and then be confronted with something that goes against that. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, maybe the world isn't out to get you. Maybe you didn't study enough. Mm-hmm. That's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Have, have you seen this uptick in extremism after COVID because people have been in such like a dark place? Like how, how have you seen people deal with their mm-hmm. mental health coming out of COVID, especially in college spheres where you are going through that great reset? Mm-hmm. I mean, so many people are 
going through like a completely like a ripping out of the foundation of who they thought they are. Yeah. So I think COVID in and of itself had a huge impact on mental health, right? So people were more isolated. Mm -hmm. We know that when you're more isolated, you tend to be more depressed. Um, people were scared. Mm -hmm. We didn't necessarily know what to expect from COVID. And if you remember, like when it first happened, like people were like washing their groceries, right? Like they're wiping their boxes. (laughs) And so when you think about like, we were living with COVID then, and then how we're living with it now, Mm -hmm. it's evolved a ton, right? So there's been a lot of uncertainty, which is also impacts our mental health, right? Because like- That's what we're always scared of. Yeah, humans want to just like know what to expect. Anytime there's a change in routine. And so talk about routines. They were completely upended. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think in general, mental health use went up. Right. We also saw that substance abuse use went up in the, during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And so then we're making decisions um, without our full cognitive capacity. Right. Wasn't there like a spike in rehab? uh, There was entries, like a massive spike. Absolutely. And in addition to that, our mental health service providers, um, there's always been a shortage of mental Mm -hmm. health service providers. And so as the need increased, it's not like more people were graduating. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think one, you just saw what I see as a mental health pandemic that also took place alongside that. Um, During COVID, there also was this huge discussion about the killings that we saw, we it started with right. George Floyd. Mm-hmm. And by say starting, I, I want to say like we just started discussing it. Yeah, <laughs> Not it that was like this a flash was point new. rather than a yeah. absolutely. And so then we had these discussions around race, equality. Mm-hmm. And if people weren't included in that conversation, I think that was that felt threatening. Yeah. What about me? I also feel that there's an injustice. And so I think all of those things together sort of heightened this or sort of created this really great bed for extremism. Being home, there were a lot of people who were just online digging into these conspiracy Mm -hmm. theories that sort of validated how people felt. Um, And so I I really think it was just a great breeding ground for this really uncomfortable things and in, in, in addition to, like, we were not set up to really address the health crisis, let alone the mental health crisis right. that, that happened during that. And so I think we were just we we're just in a really bad place. Yeah. And people are tired, right? So, like, <laughs> I mean, just think about it, right? Like, you go home, you're tired, and your roommate or your mm-hmm. partner or your kid annoys you. If you're well rested, the way you respond to that is very differently than if you've had an exhausting day. Mm -hmm. And so we're also trying to have very important conversations when people are exhausted emotionally and mentally. Um, And, you know, this is probably a whole nother podcast, but like I would argue that our push to go back to normal without sort of acknowledging the mental health toll that it's taken on people is a huge disservice and also feeds into this problem Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um because like we have not slowed down that's right okay let's let's talk more about uh, this on a heavier side heavier my goodness (laughs) were we not heavy (laughs) i'm teasing i'm teasing like it's gonna be more heavy for you (laughs) so the the strings of mass shooting this year Uh is something i want to know more about Following mass shooting, conversation tend to focus on mental health. What kinds of conversations should be taking place, and how can we average, my like average person, navigate to this uh, particular topic? So, 
I am very frustrated that the mental health conversation is the only conversation that we're having around um, shootings. Mm. Um, I think that's really, um, it's a disservice to what I see as very bright people. Because I would agree that oftentimes these shootings take place because people um, who are mentally ill have access to weapons. Mm -hmm. Um, However, if they don't have access to weapons, then their response can't be this um, tragic. Right. And so while I think mental health is an important part of the conversation, I think it is very um, disappointing and it's a huge disservice that it often becomes the only part of the conversation. I also think that um, one of the things we also aren't talking about is we hear about mass shootings so often that our reactions are now no longer um, congruent with the sheer tragedy of them, right? Um, And we are doing that because we have to protect ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's a coping Um, skill. You Mm -hmm. cannot have the same traumatic reaction that you had when you heard about Sandy Hook Mm-hmm. twice a day. Yeah. You just mm-hmm. can't do it. Absolutely. If you can't do, do you are going to be, you're not going to be well. Yeah. And I would argue that you eventually will get to a place where you cannot yeah. function as a healthy, mm-hmm. sane individual. Mm-hmm. And so um, I also, so I think that it's twofold. One, we need to be having a conversation about the way we're covering mental uh, or these shootings. Mm-hmm. We, we are sort of oversaturated by um, the sheer, um, this is what happened, here are all the details, we're mm-hmm. really interested in trying to figure it out. We're also interested in trying to figure out why, mm-hmm. right? So we're looking at their lives and this is, but no one is doing stories on those families yeah. after the fact that have been devastated about that. Yeah. And so I think, one, I think we just do a really bad job of, focusing on the things that matter. Yeah. Um, and I get it, like journalism and news, like there's just this desire with like social media and how like things get oxygen to become like clickbait and to do things that are like, oh, this is really intriguing. But I think yeah. we miss out again on the nuance of the story. Um, and we have to ha- talk about access to guns and the fact that, I- mm-hmm. If I am in, if I have mental health issues, if people are concerned about me yeah. being violent, that does not really impact my ability yeah. to get access to an AR-15. Like, it doesn't. And so that's really, yeah. to me, where the conversation should be. If we, if we talk about, like, uh, on extremism again, and uh, how does a person get to, to the place where they're able to act in this way? In, in terms of, you know, active shooting or mass shooting? And what can drive someone into thinking this action might be good? I think you start to believe that action is good because your thinking is distorted in some mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times you see people do these and they are, there's like some crusade, mm-hmm. right? There's some sort of like thing that they have told themselves that they believe this is this person is inherently bad. I am here to save the world from this. And so I think they have to be sort of programmed. I think there are a couple of things. One is one way is that they can be programmed in some sort of way, being these extreme groups. Um, And obviously there's a lot that goes into that, right? Because um, 
I don't think that anybody can end up being extreme, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think that the recipe has to be correct for that. Right. Um, I also think that mental illness is a real reason why you think that that is a decent response because you're not thinking correctly, right? And so, like, mental illness, like somebody who like might have issues with cognitive processing, or like mental illness is like anxiety and depression. Um. So. I don't think mental illness causes any of this. Okay, gotcha. Um, and I, I want to be really clear because there are, there's a lot of Ill, mental illness. And, um, and I even struggle to use the word mental illness because it really is sort of a deficit framework. Um, but so I think it's a combination of mental illness and distorted thinking, right? And mm. so, and it's vastly distorted. Most people have distorted thinking. Most people who you interacted with in counseling have distorted thinking. Here's an example. Um, I I don't know why I keep coming back to like failing a test. (laughs) Maybe because it's close to finals week. But I failed my test. Mm -hmm. Um, I am not good at anything. Right? That's a distorted thing. Oh, I ran a red light. I'm going to get arrested tomorrow. For like cocaine trafficking or something. Right. It's just so like that way is distorted. That is not anywhere close to, I am so angry that I am shooting mm-hmm. up a school mm-hmm. or a hospital. Um, and so I think it's a combination of mental illness. Um, can be. Mental illness, I don't think, is always a part of it. Sometimes I think it is extreme cognitive distortion and yeah. having that fueled. But ultimately, I think it's access to doing deadly things, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if I am extremely mad and I do not have access to a gun, mm-hmm. yeah. I am not going to kill someone. Back to your question about the what tools. someone can do. I mean, I think there are a lot of things. One is like we can always be talking about these things. And so we can be talking about how people are doing mentally, even in good times, so that it's a normal conversation that we are having. We can check in with each other we can point out things that are not accurate with mm-hmm. our family and friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I get that depending on your, what you're pointing out that that could be, could escalate. And so, um, but I, I think doing that is really important, but I also think that like when it gets to a point where you are truly concerned that someone will be a danger to themselves, it's getting rid of the getting mm-hmm. um, weapons away from them it's reaching out to people, um, trying to make sure that they are aware of that, getting them help. Getting um, them I, out of whatever situation absolutely. they're in. Absolutely. I also think just sort of destigmatizing getting mental health care is a real big part of that. Um, I do think that we're in a much better place than when I first came into counseling as far as like um, that not seeming as awful. But I think constantly talking about that and seeing that as a strategy would deal with things to deal with things that are difficult. So for instance, if a student were to say to me, like, I'm really worried about this and I can't stop worrying about this. And I might say like, have you considered counseling? Some people may see that as really like, oh, you're saying there's something wrong with me. But I really think that that should be as viable as an option as going for a walk or Mm -hmm. taking a nap because ultimately, the mind is complex and why not have someone who's trained in that way to help you talk through those things. Go ahead and give us a couple just final thoughts about this. If you wanted anybody listening, watching, whatever, to leave this video Mm -hmm. with something, Mm -hmm. what would that be? 
So I think a couple of things. One is to get a sense of what are the mental health resources in your community um, so that if and when you need them, that's not when you're looking for them. Um, I'd also think about finding ways to challenge your own thinking. So you want to really strengthen that part of your mind that's constantly reflecting on what you're thinking and why so mm -hmm. that it becomes more natural. And so that means listening to people that we don't agree with, talking about things that are not as comfortable so that when you're in that position where you've got to make choices, it's you've exercised that muscle of thinking differently and thinking more critically about things. And then finally, the last thing is that almost everything is more nuanced. Do not have conversations in, you know, in mm -hmm. arguments in very short one minute taglines. It's just there's never any learning that that comes from that. Well, thank you. Thank you, Dr. Shivers, Absolutely. for your valuable insights and your expertise has helped uh, us to better understand about the topic. Absolutely. And uh, we are very grateful for your, uh, thank you, you came for here. Having me. Thank you for listening to the Fuse podcast. If you want to help us spark conversations just like this one, you can engage in our mission at fusecampaign.org or follow us on social media at Fuse Conversations. This episode and all other episodes in our series can be downloaded wherever you find your podcasts. Have a wonderful day and we'll see you soon. Thank you.